Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks for this time that we're here today, Lord, to search your word. And Father, get into your word pertaining to the topic of real hope for suffering, bitterness, confusion, and even more, Lord. I pray, Lord, that as we've heard several messages already from Dr. Heath Lambert, that you would uh, continue to grow your word and our hearts so that we can uh, manifest your spirit in our own lives, Lord, and in the lives of those that we encounter. And I pray, God, for this session here, Lord, as we look over this topic of the righteous shall live by faith, going from doubt to faith, that your spirit would be with us and would teach us and lead us and guide us in truth. And pray that uh, we can leave here better prepared to glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, my name's Fred Bucci, and uh, we're from the East Side Cornerstone Church. <laughs> okay. Uh, I guess that's a popular name for a church, because who is the Cornerstone? Jesus Christ. He's the rock that we stand on. He's our firm foundation. And uh, I have a particular, uh, I guess, um, um, I, I have a, an investment into this type of a topic because we, my wife and I, we've been through some things over the years. Uh, part of our testimony is uh, we have lost a son who got messed up on drugs. So we, under, we understand what suffering is and grief and loss. And we did this, you know, we had this happen to us while we were Christians raising our son in a Christian home. So I guess, you know, I come here, too, with, with the idea that we're here to comfort those with the comfort with which we've been comforted in God. You know, and the comfort has come through his word, which does not return void. It accomplishes what it needs to accomplish in our lives. You know, my wife also, you know, more recently, that was 14 years ago, she has had a bout with cancer where I actually thought I was going to lose her. So, you know, in those times, you just have these these Job-like questions, right? You know, why do you contend with me, Lord? You know, what's going on? And you look for the, the questions that come that Dr. Lambert had brought up. You know, am I sinning? Or is this just purely a Job trial? How many know that they sin all the time? <laughs> so it's always about sin for me as I'm trying to work out my salvation in fear and trembling while it's God who is at work in me both to will and to do his good pleasure. So it, it does get confusing, and in the midst of the pain, you feel weakened and down, right? And, and you just feel like you have no more strength in you. And I guess, you know, it's a good place to be, because a lot of times if you can have strength in yourself, then you think, I can do all things through Fred, who strengthens himself, right? And isn't the goal of our, um, our faith is to be Christ-like and dependent on him, and to be more selfless and more, uh, I guess, dependent on the Lord. and That's what we need to do, is that, that our hope and strength is in Jesus Christ. So I love this topic. I've, I've chosen this narrative that comes through um, the book of Habakkuk. And the narrative, I like it because the idea is the perplexity of God. You know, what is the perplexity of God? And, you know, when I think of this term perplexity, you know, it's just a term that 
is very confusing. You know, God is confusing. He's, he's difficult to understand. He's baffled. You know, he's baffling, and, and we're mystified by what's going on. You know, discombobulated, head-scratching. You know, what's up? You know, what, what, what happened? What's life about? And, you know, if you have this in your personal life, it's one thing. Now you're trying to minister to people if you're a counselor, or, and we're all counselors, right? So what comes out of us, we're speaking our faith into people's hearts, if it's whining and complaining, then that's what they're going to hear you speak. Your faith, what you believe in. Because our faith speaks out of our heart, Hebrews 11.4 says. You know, even though Abel is dead, his faith speaks. It speaks faith into my heart. The whole book of Hebrews was written as a, to speak faith into us. And that faith is trust and obey. Right? So as I'm trying to trust, I'm trying to, as, as uh Heath said, Dr. Lambert, he said, now he's trying to build in gently into people's hearts with love and compassion, truth. But you can't not speak truth. You know, truth sets you free. You know, even the person who lost their, uh, you know, their spouse. The idea was, at the end of the day, you can't grieve without hope. Right? That's the truth. Don't grieve as those with no hope. See in Thessalonians chapter 4. But you just can't go in there and, you know, and not minister the, the truths of God's word. See, and, you know, I, I, I think we need to have love in our hearts, speaking truth and love. And, and when you've been through some stuff, doesn't that give you compassion? Right? But we have to watch that we don't become overly sympathetic. It's one thing to be sympathetic. It's another to be empathetic, but then to be able to minister. The most empathetic thing I could do is not let that person get devoured by the the sin of self-pity and bitterness that would come into their life. That's what I'm more concerned about, rather than than if they love me or like me, right? That's, That's why it says in the scriptures, later they'll love you if you rebuke a man. Sometimes they don't like you right now. But, you know, I, I want to be a person that's known for speaking truth in the hardest of times, right? And because I don't want to give anybody this idea that um, I, don't want, I don't want to leave people in their, in their left in their sin. Ultimately, whether it's coming from your, your sin behavior or whether it's coming from just a Job-like trial, if you don't respond properly, you're sinning, is what it comes down to. If you don't apprehend what God's doing. So when we have the perplexity of God, you know, in our minds and hearts, you know, when I say mad at life, if God is sovereign and he's established his throne in the hills and his sovereignty rules over all, he's ruling over this, this event here. He's ruling over your circumstances of your life. You're not one hair on your head is touched without his sifting it through his providence and his will for you. And if he's given you this assignment in your life, I like to call life a faith assignment, one of trusting him in the hardest of times. If he's given you this assignment, then the goal is for us to be obedient slaves, servants that can that can respond to reflect his image in the midst of all of this time. 
you see? And as we reflect the image of Christ to those that are observing us, because we are a public testimony of faith, right? How many know the Apostle Paul was called a public testimony? And, and he had a faith assignment as we observe his life 2,000 years later. He's been an example to us. You know, when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, through many tumults and through many beatings and shipwreck for three nights, right? Without food, without clothing, naked, robbed, right? His faith speaks into me that if I go through that, now I'm going to be able to uh, reflect on Jesus, reflect on Paul, reflect on Joseph, reflect on those that were before me, reflect on Hebrews 11, right? How about the ones at the end of Hebrews 11, that their names were not even known, and they were sawn in two, put in, uh, put in uh, animal skins, tortured, you know, hidden in caves. We don't even know their names, and it says the world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them at the end of Hebrews chapter 11. And then 12 says, you know, because we have such a cloud of witnesses, right? Take off everything that easily besets you. Let's not get caught up in the, the, the self-pity and overcome with grief. And let's, let's try to walk by faith and not by sight, right? This is real-time Christianity, Real hope for those who are suffering. And if you don't, here's another thing we learned. God gives you the chance to do it. When the pain is the worst. Know that. And he, would he give you more than you can, hand, can handle in that time? Because he can't. So if you walk by faith, then you've you got to walk in a way that you know that your feelings don't want to do it. But you, you have to say, I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. And you, make your, you take your emotions and make them subservient to Christ's commands and will. And that's where the joy of the Lord is. And what does the joy of the Lord become, it says in Nehemiah? Our strength. Because now I'm living for the glory of God. Right? So this is all bonus information. <laughs> but, you know, this is my testimony. This is, this is what... Has, has motivated my wife and mine's heart, you know, and um, so we're hoping that, you know, I'm hoping that um, this will encourage your hearts, this, this little narrative, and if there's um, something you leave here with, know this, that God, I, I'd like you to know, know a couple points that, that you can leave with, for sure, okay? That Habakkuk talks about the perplexity in and the, the ways, in God's ways not being our ways, and his thoughts being far above our thoughts. And, and that is in Isaiah 55, 8, and 9. So if you want to know one thing to bring away, God's ways are not our ways. He is perplexing. Okay? So if you miss everything in between, walk, at least walk away with that. Uh, this, this book will bring you from a point of doubt to a place of faith. Faith being trust and trusting in the Lord and having confidence is what what we need to have in the midst of the most tumultuous times. You see, that confidence that we can rest and be still and know that he is God. So that's two. 
Number three, you can watch how, if you're going to minister to your heart or someone else, how God, uh, Habakkuk became one that went from wrestling with God in his two questions. There's two questions in the, in the outline that you'll have. Wrestling with God to being an embracer of God. So it's okay to question God. It's okay to have a lament that says, How long, O Lord? With a sense of respect. You see Psalm 6, Psalm 13. When you read those Psalms, they ascend from a a questioning lament to a time of feeling sorrow and pain to another time of remembering the Lord and knowing how God has brought you through things. But it's always with respect toward God and trust in him. So know that that is what goes on in this narrative of the book of Habakkuk. If you want someone to be ministered to through this as you're going to use this narrative. Okay. Um, okay. And let's see. So we also have... Um, the, the history of what was going on, when I think of the history of what was going on in Habakkuk's life, and I'll read it here, it says, uh, the name Habakkuk means embracer because of, of the prophet's love for God uh, and also wrestling. You know, that's part of, the, 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 you know, of his name also. And he prophesied just before Nebuchadnezzar first invaded Judah in 605, He was commissioned by God to announce God's intention to punish Judah, the reigning king of of Judah. I'm sorry, the reigning king of Judah, Jehoiakim, was described by Jeremiah in this way. uh, But your eyes and your heart are intent only upon your own dishonest gain and on shedding innocent blood and on practicing oppression and extortion. And that was in Jeremiah twenty two seventeen. 17. So um, Israel, the t- ten tribes, were already in, uh, in captivity, you know, from about 722 B.C. And Judah was also committing evil, but God, there seems to be like this hundred-year period of time between uh, Israel and Judah, which was Judah and, and Benjamin, the tribes of Benjamin. And uh, Habakkuk was a prophet and a contemporary of Jer- Jeremiah who also was, was, were prophesying these warnings against God's people. Now, how many people know that when you read the scriptures about Israel, that they were unfaithful? Do we need to go and prove this, or do we know that, that Israel was, uh, as Jeremiah called them, a stupid, foolish rebellious people is what he called them. You read Jeremiah when, when you want to, does God name call? Yeah, he calls Israel stupid and foolish. They make these wood idols of wood that were made by man. They think they, they have no power in them is what, what you see. And he rebukes them. He said, you've gone after other things, these cisterns that were, were broken and leaky, you know. And he says, you've committed two evils. So he, he rebukes the Israelites very strongly. And he was a young man. Uh, he had a, a he, uh, Jeremiah had this burden about making sure that, that Israel would repent. But they would not repent. And they would not receive 
instruction. You know, in, in the book of Jeremiah, he says, I, I chasten them, but they do not receive chastening. They continue to do evil. Okay? So this reminds me a lot of uh, myself. How about you guys? Because <laughs> when I read about Israel and I look at the wickedness of my heart and I hear what Dr. Lambert said about if you can't relate to that person who's done some of these things in a way that you can have compassion for their suffering in the midst of their sin, maybe you don't have a good view of your own sin. Did that speak to your heart? <laughs> the wickedness of your heart? How many know that they are utterly depraved? Right? And that there's nothing that anyone can do that was written in the Bible and that I see on the news that I can't do. Right? I am the chief of sinners. And who else was? The Apostle Paul. Right? When we get a good dose of our own depravity, then we know we are what we are by the grace of God. When we come and minister to people, we first have to come to a place of knowing how wicked we are. Okay, so, but Israel was wicked. And just because we identify now, we're saying, oh, good, kumbaya, we're all sinners, let's go sin, right? No, that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is get a good dose of your depravity. Once you get that, then you're going to say, God is merciful. God is merciful. Now, that's why when you look at the wicked servant who would not forgive his, forgive his, um, forgive the person that owed him a lot, as what was referred to in our last message, then you sit there and you say this, how could I not forgive this other person because for, for, of the mercy that God has shown me? I can only love this way because of Christ first loved me while I was yet a sinner, it says in Romans chapter 5, right? While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. I'm trying to get us in a good mindset here, but looking at the sin of Israel and no, identifying with the idea that we're sinners too. Um, but Habakkuk saw this evil. Let's get go back here now. Habakkuk saw this evil and questioned God's wisdom, crying out, how long will you let this evil continue? And this is a story of questioning or doubting God's sovereign wisdom and justice to eventually affirming true faith and trust in God's sovereign wisdom and justice. So that's what I was speaking about a little bit before. You know, we were questioning God's wisdom and justice, you know, to eventually affirming true faith and trust. And uh, again, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones calls this book of Habakkuk from fear to faith. Warren Wiersbe calls it from worry to worship. And the prophet initiated, uh, Swindoll says this, Charles Swindoll says this, the prophet initiated this conversation based on his distress about God's inaction in the world. He wanted to see God do something more, particularly in the area of justice for evildoers. The book of Habakkuk pictures a frustrated prophet like Jonah, though Habakkuk channeled his frustration into prayers, eventually praise to God, and eventually praise to God, rather than trying to run from the Lord as Jonah did. Jonah ran, and what, what was Jonah's sin? What was he doing? Does anybody remember when God wanted to forgive the Assyrians, the, the Babylonians? Right. How could, how could God forgive these people? He didn't have a good dose of his own depravity, did he? As he was sinning and running away from God, right? And he didn't, wanna, he didn't want them to be, he didn't want God to be merciful to them. 
And God forgave them and they repented. Now, it didn't last long because they, they, they actually brought, you know, it, uh, it was the Israel, it was 760 BC. About 722 is when, when Israel came under the condemnation of, uh, and of the Assyrians, which was divinely, sovereignly, and providentially God's will for them <laughs> at this point. So, but anyways, at the moment, it, God was trying to work in them. So, um, but anyways, the idea here is that, that we, we can be distressed and look at why do the evil prosper in our own lives? You know, how, how, does, how does God let people that are so sinful prosper, right? So, Habakkuk's first problem with God. Why did God allow wicked practices to continue in Judah? Now, I don't know if there are, are you guys progressing this as we go? Okay, good. Let me see. I don't know. I don't have. I do have an outline here of the words. Well, one second. Oh, there it is. All right, here we go. First practice. Okay. How long? Yeah, there it is. Good. I just want to be sure you guys can keep up if you're going to keep notes. All right. How long? Uh, back his first problem with God was why was God allowing wicked practices to continue? In Judah, and here it is, Habakkuk one two through four. How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Okay, and you know we see in the book of Job nineteen seven, same thing. He cried out, violence, you know, but I get no answer and. Job 30.20 says, I cry out to thee for help, but thou dost not answer, right? And sometimes when we're praying in the midst of trouble and we're, we're seeking an answer, it seems like God is not answering in our time frame, does it? Right? How many have children that are giving them a heartache and you got a, a situation at work or something's going on with a family member or a friend of yours that's very ill and they need some help or they're going through trials and tribulations that are heinous, right? As we've heard some of the examples in our sessions. There's, there's lots of stuff that goes on, and it just seems like God is not there. And uh, let me finish. It says, why do, we, why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contentions arise. Therefore, the law is ignored. This idea of the law being ignored is it's paralyzed and it's numb in the hearts of men. And, uh, you know, I think it was King Josiah, the young boy, brought the law back to the Israelites in Judah. And, you know, and God brought the sensitivity back to, the, back to them about what is right to do and what is wrong to do. And now when you start to reject your conscience and numb your heart, what happens? You could shipwreck your faith. You know, if you reject your conscience, you shipwreck your faith. And we got to be careful that we don't numb our hearts to the law and start to call good evil and evil good. How many know what I'm talking about? Because you struggle in sin, you know, you can say, well, it must not, I can't get through this. It's hard. God will understand. Uh, You know, I guess it's okay. I'll just live doing 1 John 1 9 for the rest of my life, right? I want that road, but there's, there's something wrong with it. That we're not committed entirely with the whole heart where we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. 
Right? Christ is not our all in all. We have a divided heart in those times, right? We've got to be careful we don't become numb to the law as we see this example. And justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. Okay, so the wicked were winning. The wicked, it seems like that right now. How many look in this society, you see the news and the evil agendas of going on in the society today? And you're just like, it's over. You know, I'm, I'm almost 60 years old. And I sit there and I think, I would never have thought the way this country's gone, where, we, where we've legalized marriage, uh, homosexual agenda and marriage. Did I say that I hate homosexuals? No. I just know that homosexuality is called a sin, just like adultery is, just like fornication is, just like stealing is, just like any other sin is. So we can't just normalize what God's word says is wrong, but it's, it's become normalized, and to speak out against it in society, you are going to get mocked and scoffed at. You know, in the last days, men will be, First Timothy 3, 1 through 5, men will be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of, lovers of God. Children will be disobedient to their parents. We're, we're in these times that I believe it, it looks like there's the potential of this being the last days. I would never have seen that. You know, this stuff when I was younger. So what's the point? That we have a numbness and a perversion that he was dealing with in his day back then. Okay. Uh, Okay. So do you have similar problems with God as it relates to evil and injustice? How long will, you know, we have personal problems. How long will we let abortion continue? Why are you allowing the homosexual agenda to prosper? Why did the wicked prosper with money, children, good jobs, worldly comforts? Why am I sick? You know, I love you and I want to serve you. Why can't I have children? Okay. Why are there senseless mass killings like Columbine, Chardon High School, Sandy Hook, and, and more since, you know, since it, they keep coming? Why do vibrant young people get killed in car accidents? Why are drugs such an epidemic in society, right? It's an epidemic. It's, you know, I, I do some work in the jails, and these, these uh, the legal people, they don't know what to do. They have no idea what to do. They're, people are dying from this heroin and, the, and these drugs that are so powerful with this fentanyl and it, it's, it's, it's a plague in, in society. They have no answers for it. But we have the answer. See, we have the answer. Why, though? Why is God allowing this? And why do good people suffer? Well, I put that in quotation marks. Good people. Does anybody think they're good here? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, anyways, um, the only goodness we have is the goodness that I can say God gave me by reflecting his image in the moments that he's given me the grace to do the right thing in that moment, right? I am what I am, what? By the grace of God. Grace upon grace upon grace. That's why it says be strong in the grace of the Lord, right? In 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. Be strong, dynamite power in the grace, God's provision to you that he puts in you, in the grace of God. Be strong in the grace of God. Right? We need to fight the good fight of faith. 
Does your voice cry out along with the martyrs when the fifth seal of Revelation 6.11 is broken? How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging your blood and those who dwell on the earth? Does your heart cry out with King David? Psalm 13.1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forgive me for, forget me? How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? How long, having sorrow in my heart all the day, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? See, how many have been in that place where they sense the valley of the shadow of death? Where you've been in a situation that, how long will I take counsel in my soul? It's the the mercy of God. That you have taken counsel in your soul. Because I won't obey unless he pushes me into that position. The kindness of the Lord leads to a repentance, it says in Romans 2.4. I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want it. In my flesh, I am selfish. And we have to know that about ourselves. You need the counsel in your soul. And we, otherwise, we can't hear we can't hear, right? Can't hear. God, Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hear by obedience from the heart. Hear, right? How long will we take counsel? And, you know, I, I was reading something my pastor shared with me when I was taking some of this counsel in my soul, and it, it, it was called affliction stacked. And one of the things they said was, maybe God wants you to spend more time with him in that place of dependent neediness. That's why the length of the time is there, because God wants to have fellowship with you. Think about that one. He wants fellowship with you. Otherwise, I'm doing it my way. How many know who Frank Sinatra is? Right? Some people are smiling. You don't want me to sing it, do you? <laughs> no, I can't do it. <laughs> it's impossible. All right, so taking counsel in the soul. God's first reply to Habakkuk. He says this, Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, and wonder. Okay? And what he's saying is this, in the midst of this questioning by Habakkuk. He's saying this. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Pay attention. It's time for you to to listen to me now. Obey and observe these commands, okay? And and be astonished and wonder, because something's going to happen that's going to be hard for you to get. It's, It's going to be very hard for you to understand. So be amazed. And wonder means bewilderment. Be bewildered and and be observe, be careful to contemplate these things, right? And it was written, this was written in a plural form for Judah, Israel, and Habakkuk to listen. So God's putting us on notice. Listen, listen, pay attention, <laughs> all right? Pay attention, we're seeing here, all right? Because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told by man, it meant 
Not by God, though. If God's telling you, would believe it, because we walk by faith and not by sight. Right? Not by sight. And what is the victory? Faith is the victory. Right? Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. So we walk by faith and not by sight. God's telling you this. Believe it. Why be astonished? Because God has, was, doing, was going to do something completely unexpected by human reasoning, unreasonable. He was going to do something Habakkuk and all of Judah would not even believe, but they would have to believe it because God told them he was going to do it. And here's what God said he was going to do. And you look at uh, Habakkuk 1, 6, 10, through, 6, 6 through 7 and 10. It says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that fierce, impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are, a dread and a, they are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. They mock at kings, and rulers are laughing matters to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. God is doing something. He is raising up the Babylonians to come and execute his judgment on Judah. He is using a violent nation that arrogantly thinks it is serving its own God and purpose. Now that's perplexing. Why? Why? And then this prophet Habakkuk says, look, look, I got another problem with you, God. Why would you use wicked people to punish Judah? Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you, can't, you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Right? They're more wicked than us, and you're going to use them? But you shouldn't be doing that because that's wrong in his eyes. You see? In Habakkuk's eyes, that is wrong. Okay? So he's questioning God's way. That's why I go back to Isaiah 55. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Remember that. The secret things belong to God. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The things revealed that belong to you that you can obey them. Trust and obey. For there's no other way. To be happy in Jesus. I got to sing a little. And to trust and obey. Right? There's no other way. Trust, have confidence in God, not in your own reasoning, right? Not your own reasoning. Trust in the Lord. Be not your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your path. That doesn't mean you're going to get to understand. You don't understand. The only thing you understand is who you're understanding and who you're trusting Right? I understand I trust God. I don't understand any of these circumstances. I don't even know how to pray half the time. Right? I will be done. Holy Spirit, just grown, grown out of me. I got nothing. I can't even think right. Right? Spirit, pray for me. 
And then walk in the Spirit. Don't sin. Lord, help us. Thine eyes are too pure. We have similar problems with God. You ever question how or why God is doing something? You ever pray but feel that God is answering things in a way you would not have expected or you even think you would do it differently? Do you ever doubt Romans 8, 28? All things work together to good. Then I'm going to love God and call according to his purpose, brother. Right? In the midst of personal calamity, you have to be careful. Do you, do you go from having questions about God's way to a bitter, rebellious, untrusting, angry heart attitude toward him? And, and here's what I say. When we're mad at life, if God is sovereign and in control of all things, when we're mad at life, who are we mad at? God, right? Most unbelievers will even shake their hand like this. Why? Why? And do we threaten God and say, God, I need you to show up right now. This is it. This is your last chance. If you don't show up, I'm out of here. And I'm going to tell you, John MacArthur wrote something about apostasy. It's a falling away from the faith. And what he said was apostasy starts with trials and tribulations. And it happens over a period of time where the doubting in the heart becomes, starts to become built upon and built upon and built upon. And the next thing you know, you start to, to sin against God in your heart. You don't trust and have confidence in him. And then you start to deny him, not only in lifestyle, but then you start to harden your heart, right? As, as Hebrews 3 talks about, don't harden your heart from the deceitfulness of sin. It's something that is deceitful to you. It's, it's something that's, 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 that's fooling you. Don't be hardened by this. See, we have these same heart attitudes. And this is what's going on in the emotions of people that we need to deal with, that there is this suffering component that they're feeling because of their sin. We need to minister to them and speak lovingly, truthfully, the words of God. And what do we have on our side in people's hearts? The conscience. And God's word speaks to the conscience. Right? The word of God bears witness to the conscience. That's why even if when I'm speaking to someone, if I'm getting mocked at or scoffed at, I just ignore it. Because I know if I pierce them with the word, that God will use that when they're not in front of me. Right? And I'm their best friend at that moment, and they don't even know it. Right? Right? The Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You rebuke a man, later he'll love you. Nobody likes it in the moment. How many like rebuke? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> you know it's good for you after the fact, but later you get that sense in you sometimes, right? Second reply, God promised judgment upon the wicked. Habakkuk 111, then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. You see, you want your strength to be your God? I have to, that's, I struggle with that one too, because I'm a doer and I could fix it. And I want to fix it now. I don't have time to wait for God, right? 
or, or wait, wait upon the Lord and he'll renew my strength. This is bothering me. I'm going to fix it. Right? We miss out on that waiting upon the Lord. And that's why he puts me in those situations where it feels like you're in the valley of the shadow of death forever. And he's, he's putting, he's, he's, he's ministering in your soul. He's counseling your soul at that moment to force you to be dependent upon you. Otherwise, you're going to depend on your neighbor, your friend, relief from somewhere else, but who? Him. This is what we're all about as Christians, to glorify him through total abandonment of any right we think we have and being totally dependent on him. If he did not put me in that position, I would not do it because I am a comfort lover. Right? How many love comfort and ease over sacrifice and pain? (laughs) He did not force us. We would not do it. And that's why it's a love of God. It's a grace and mercy of God that he does let us go through that time. And these wicked will not prosper. They're guilty. God made this proclamation in Habakkuk 2, 2, and 3. Then the Lord answered me and said, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet to be appointed, is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it certainly will come. It will not delay. And and God is making a proclamation. Write this down for posterity, because what I am telling you will surely happen. This prophecy had lasting relevance, and God wanted to uh, preserve it so that it would be read and proclaimed by Judah and by the Chaldeans and all who do evil. But what he's saying is, you will not prosper in your evil. You think, these guys thinks they're, think they're winning and, and conquering in the name of their own God. But they will not win. They will not win is what this is saying. They are not going to prosper. They are going to be held accountable. And this vision I'm giving you is truly going to happen. So now... What he's saying to the Israelites, too, is the judgment is coming. Now here's Habakkuk knowing that he's waiting for this judgment to happen, too, in the midst of this. Right? He knows that he's going to be a part of this. How's he going to avoid it when they come down and and invade and raid the the community he's in? You know, and there were several raids. There was three different times that they came, I think, in Judah. I was reading three separate ones over periods of years where they came and and, and accomplish this goal. So God denounced the proud Chaldeans and exalted the righteous ones who lived by faith by being faithful to Him. Habakkuk two four. This is one, this verse may be the key verse in the chap in the whole book I was reading. It says, "Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him." Chaldeans uh, and even the sinful Israelites, but the righteous will live by faith. I trust and obey. God pronounced his judgment upon wickedness, the wickedness of the, uh, of the Chaldeans with five woes, Habakkuk 2, 6 through 20. And a woe is an exclamation of grief, horror, pain, displeasure, disaster, calamity, denunciation because of their sin. So this is the woes coming upon them. 
but because of their greed, because of their violence, because they were inhumane and insolent. And they had idolatry. They trusted in the creation rather than the creator. Right? Isn't Romans 1.25 says we either serve creation or creator? Creation being the world, flesh, and the devil. Creator is God. There's two choices. You serve God or creation. Save a lot of money going to the psychiatrist. <laughs> just, I think that, uh, that, that, that that video just say it. Stop it. Do the right thing. Right? Faith is the victory. Right? Let's do the right thing. Be sober-minded, diligent in the midst of sin. God declared to Habakkuk his sovereign control over all the earth. Now here's where God finally comes in and starts to, to, to put um, Habakkuk in his place. Let's just say that. Habakkuk 2.20 says, But the Lord is in the holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Hush, be silent. Be still and know that I am God, it says in 40, Psalm 46.10. And Ron Blue says, For Habakkuk, the message was clear. Stop complaining. Stop doubting. God is not indifferent to sin. He is not insensitive to suffering. The Lord is neither inactive or unreachable. He is in control. Psalm 103.19, the Lord has established his throne in the heaven and his sovereignty rules over all. His total powerful control. It rules over all. And in his perfect time, Yahweh will accomplish his divine purpose. Habakkuk was to stand in humble silence and hushed expectancy of God's intervention. The key here is that we are to be still and listen to the Lord, to speak to our hearts, while in the midst of perplexity over what God is doing. That's what God wants us to do. And Habakkuk's response, and here's where it starts to shift when we start entering into, into chapter 3. He starts to transform. This is when he starts going from, from wrestling and doubting to embracing and trusting. Right here. Okay? And he says, after hearing God's answer to him, Habakkuk's heart transformed from doubting, wrestling with God to trusting prayerful songs, a song of deliverance and faith. This was very similar to Job. Okay? Uh, Job said it like this. I know that you can, in Job 42, 1 through 6, he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. The eyes of his heart were open because he took what? Counsel in his soul that nothing else could have opened the eyes of his heart except for that pain and suffering that he went through. Now my eye sees you, okay? Therefore, I retract and repent in dust and ashes. That was, that was Job's response to the troubling troubles that he had as he started to complain against God and say, why do you contend with me? What have I done? You know, why? I've done nothing wrong, you know? So he's questioning God's love and wisdom, right? 
That's what Job, Job was doing. And again, Habakkuk 1.5 says, Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your day you would not believe. So it's a very similar mind thing, mindset where Job says, Things too wonderful for me. That same idea, too wonderful. So in chapter 3, Habakkuk breaks into a prayerful song called the Shagornath, which means psalm that is sung enthusiastically with string instruments in praise to God. So here's the new praise, here's a, a praised string instrument song after the complaining of the two questions about God. Now he's starting to settle in and trust and rest in God's wisdom and love. Okay? That's what we're seeing here. And um, it says here that uh, a prayer for God's action and mercy as he's in this prayer. It says, he asked God to revive his work and in his wrath and disciplining of Judah to remember mercy. Mercy is God not giving them what they do deserve. Please don't destroy Judah. Please don't do it. He's praying to the Lord. Don't do that. And then uh, Habakkuk 3, 1 and 2, he says, Lord, I have heard the report about you and I fear um, oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of your years. So he's, he's, he's speaking with God in a way that he's reverently petitioning him to have mercy. Um, in the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Don't destroy us, but teach us. Teach us, Lord. And then here's where he gives the praise for past deliverance. Habakkuk praises God for his mighty works done in the past. And you see Habakkuk 3, 3 through 7, where it says, God comes from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Selah, you know, his splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has, he has rays flashing from his hand and there is the hiding of his power. Before him goes pestilence and plague comes after him. He stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and settled, startled the nations. Yes, the perpetual mounds were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. And he says, I saw the tents of cushion under distress. A tent, uh, the tent curtains of the land Midian were trembling. So we see the example of deliverance that Habakkuk is praising in Habakkuk 3, 3 through 7. And uh, I don't know what you have here. I don't, I'm not going to read this next one in Habakkuk 3, 8 through 15, but it's just another example of, uh, of his deliverance. And then we see a profession of faith in God's sovereign purposes. And uh, when, we, when we're heading into 3.16, Habakkuk 3.16, it says, Habakkuk trembles at what he has heard, but he will rest in the day of trouble when the Chaldeans come to execute God's judgment. So he knew it was coming. That's why, you know, he, he was, in, in, in a little bit before this, he was talking about, about this terror of the thing he knew was coming. He, he, he had terror, he said before, in the thing that was coming. And he feared it, because he knew he was going to become a part of it. But he says, I will rest in the day of judgment. I heard in my inward parts, and I heard in my inward parts trembled at the sound my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones, and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. So here he is knowing that, but now he's shifting into a more resting. And we have to remember that when we're going through trials, can I rest and be still and know that God's 
you know, that, that um, be still and know that he is God? Can I rest and not sit there at night and think all night, figuring it out, and be still and know that he's God, and not try to deliver myself from these things? You know, in, in the glory of, of Fred, that's hard for me. You know, and that, God's not saying we shouldn't do anything. It's just, you know, if you're, a, if I say it this way, if you're a doer, if you're a doer, then you need to rest more. If you're a rester, then you need to do more. There's a tension here. And, and, you know, it's not like he doesn't want us. You know, he says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who is at work in you both to will and do your, his good pleasure. So there's that tension all in scripture you see. And this is one of those tensions. But I need to be still and know that he's God. And I need to rest. You know, it says in Hebrews 4, 1 and 2, the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. We need to, to have faith and then we get profit of the peace of God which surpasses all understanding that can dwell in our hearts through Christ Jesus. That's where the peace of God comes from, trusting in the Lord, confidence in who God is and how he loves me as my Abba Daddy, who's been adopted into the family of God because of my being born again through faith in his accomplished work on the cross and the atonement of Christ. He made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on my behalf, that I could become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Amen. That's my confidence, is in him. Conclusion. And these are some of the most powerful verses. When When our son passed away, he died, got shot by the police 14 years ago mile from our home. Police came and followed a trail of blood to our home like, a, like little breadcrumbs and knocked on our door at five in the morning, woke up us up and we were like, what's up? We were startled. We were perplexed. This verse spoke to our hearts. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Though the fig trees should not blossom and there be no fruits on the vines, And though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls. Wow. That's a pretty, pretty barren scenario. You got no stuff, right? You got no stuff. All your stuff's gone, right? No food, no cattle, nothing on the vine. Right? No figs, none of that stuff that would bring the comforts of life. Yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will be jubilant and exceedingly happy in who? The Lord. The Lord. The Lord. Not the Lord plus those other things than Him. That's why He takes you. You have to take counsel in your soul. Because I will get the figs if they're hanging. And I'll take more than I need. Like they wanted to take of the manna. God let them have just enough for how long? One day. Now we know what it means to walk by faith. Trust in the Lord. Just enough manna for one day. I'll take a load of figs. And I'll put them and store them. But I got to trust in the Lord. 
He wanted them to trust him in the desert, didn't he, the Israelites? My jubilant celebration is in the Lord, and I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Circle around in joy in him alone, not plus husband, a wife, children, grandchildren, other things than God. If God has chosen providentially and sovereignly for you not to have that, then you need to be content in all things, right? Because the grief we feel forces us to have fears and motivates us to seek relief and pleasure. And the Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds' feet, and he makes me to walk You ever see uh, the hinds being able to walk on the side of a mountain and they have that sense of security? And I'm looking there having a panic attack watching them, right? Just watching them where they're at this climbing up the side of a hill. But that's the sure footing we can have when we look at that high hill. Our sure footing's in God alone. Amen. Trust in the Lord, lean not to your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways. He will direct your path. Any questions? Any thoughts? I think we have a few minutes here. One minute. (laughs) Oh, last two blanks. Let me find that. Hold on. I got it in here somewhere. Where did I put it? Oh, here it is. It says, trouble and rejoice on two. Under, uh, professional faith in God's sovereign purposes. And two says, um, while trouble may come and he will rejoice. Does that make sense? All right. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you that you are convincing us of sin, righteousness, and judgment.